Okay. So I'm forgoing my usual intro because, uh, frankly, it doesn't feel appropriate. Uh, this was a rough one. There was a good amount of ugliness, not too much entertainment, and in my opinion, the height of some very worrying trends that plague modern Survivor. Now, I want to preface this by saying I have no intention of labeling anyone's behavior as right or wrong. There is a lot of nuance to the situations that come up in this week's episode, as there are with most human interactions, and not everything is as cut and dry as Twitter or Facebook wants you to think. I will say that I plan on being critical of the following individuals and groups. Jeff Probst, the Survivor fan base, in particular the online presence, Jonathan, and Roxroy. This is, of course, being critical of actions outside of the game, not just this is a bad game move criticism. That's kind of a given. But I wanted to make sure that uh, I'm clear from the beginning that that's who I'm planning on being critical of beyond just traditional talking about their game in the game. If you have an issue with my criticism with any of these individuals, uh, this is your warning that it's coming up. And if you don't want to hear that, uh, feel free to turn off the podcast and hopefully tune in next week for likely a more typical episode of Twists and Torches. Also, this episode is not going to sound as informal. You may have already noticed this and ad hoc as my typical content. Much of this episode is scripted because I think it is of vital importance that I articulate my thoughts carefully around these sensitive issues. I won't be making many jokes or references to past seasons. The focus really is on this episode and what happened in the episode. Lastly, I have no plans, again, to broadly label behavior as racist, misogynistic, or non-racist or non-misogynistic. It's not entertaining. That's not groundbreaking or interesting. I plan to frame all of the events of the episode, in particular the second tribal, in the context of the situation, the game, our world, and the conditions that triggered the discussion that occurred at that second tribal council. So let me be clear that I don't plan on, again, saying anything is right or wrong, but I do plan on having a discussion about the behavior, what it means overall, what it means for the game. Um, But uh, just so you know, uh, from the get-go, I'm hoping to not be polarizing, and I'm quite critical of that polarizing behavior uh, on social media as well in this episode. All right, let's talk about it. Here we go. So we start off, and it's a pretty typical you know, intro to an episode where someone reacts to someone being voted out and them being kind of the secondary vote. In this case, Romeo, uh, he uh, threw a hinky vote where he horribly misspelled High's name. And he said in his confessional, he just wants to see him squirm. Uh, So High does his best uh, Rupert Bonin impression coming back, who voted for me. Uh, He knows it's Romeo. I think he asked a couple people for show, but uh, it was pretty clear. I think by this point, they probably know each other's handwriting well enough that he could make a good guess regardless. Um, But there's kind of like a high versus Romeo rivalry or feud being set up here, which actually uh, continues throughout the episode. Um, But I thought this was an interesting kind of intro uh, and really the, the most normal we get 
is is this very beginning. Um, and then right away, they jump into uh, the behavior that many have labeled as problematic and that the editors chose to show uh, in a way to tell a narrative uh, that explains not only the second tribal, but also the first tribal. So next we have Roxroy. He uh, appears to be attempting an all-male alliance. At this point in the game, Roxroy has somehow found his way allied with the big alliance, despite being on the bottom at the uh, mergatory boot of Lydia, seemingly through his bonds with Jonathan and Mike. Uh, he alludes to them going out fishing and gathering firewood early together in the morning, uh, which oftentimes is uh, some time that contestants tend to bond doing their daily responsibilities. It's a, kind of a natural thing. However, he recognizes his plight in the game as either a potential threat and someone who doesn't have a ton of social allies um, and decides he's going to make a game move to create an alliance. So he decides to align with individuals who are similar to him in terms of gameplay, threat level, physique, uh, and primarily that is, of course, uh, Jonathan and Mike, who he already is quite friendly with. He decides to as well bring in Hi, who he knows is close to Mike, and uh, Omar, who he knows is close to Jonathan, uh, calling this kind of a guy's alliance. Um, the confessionals that he cuts and the moments that are shown, he actually talks to multiple individuals using very similar language. Um, definitely seemed deliberate that they were painting a picture of someone who was going out of his way to work with men in this case, um, and, and that's just kind of how, how it goes. I think that uh, in game terms, it's a smart strategic move. Uh, he is aligning himself with the people that he has a good chance of going further against. Does he have a chance of winning against them? I'm not so sure, but I think this is probably the right move in general for Roxroy to do at this point. Um, Jonathan kind of takes a similar approach and says he's on board. He also gives a confessional, probably feels very similarly. Jeff has remarked multiple times how physically dominant he is and that he has displayed in multiple challenges that he is, and he actually is going to win immunity this round as well. Uh, so choosing Mike and Rox as allies for him makes a lot of sense as well And bringing in, uh, he already has Omar and bringing in, uh, of course, High through Mike, and uh, they were kind of part of the core anyway, and presumably he would want to work with Lindsay moving forward as well. I know they have been close for most of the game, but uh, it's not mentioned directly by Rox, but Jonathan would have that kind of separate ally. So I think the problematic aspect here, and again, not labeling right and wrong, but, but somewhat problematic, uh, especially in what they chose to show was how Roxroy articulates this plan. Uh, rather than explaining that he wants people of a similar threat level, maybe people playing on a similar wavelength as him, uh, he calls it a guy's alliance. He doesn't call it a threat alliance. He doesn't say I'm aligning with people to have meat shields or to disguise myself. Uh, he frames it in a way that he's doing it because they are men. And I think that's the, the problem with it. Not the actual strategy behind it, but the way that he explains and why he chooses seemingly to do this. Uh, I know that there are some other physical threats uh, in terms of women. Uh, Drea has proven to be quite adept in challenges, uh, as well as Tori, who's obviously won two immunities, but he's not very close with Tori. In fact, kind of enemies out there. Um, not too sure about Drea. But his multiple confessionals and discussions, again, with multiple people, so he goes to uh, High with this, he goes to Omar with this, um, and he, uh, I guess that's why his behavior is being labeled in this way. Um, again, I don't blame Roxroy for making this game decision, 
And the way he justifies it might appeal to someone like Jonathan and Mike, who are probably thinking something similar. Mike is thinking, oh, well, if these two guys go, I might be kind of a physical threat behind them. Uh, at least that seems to be his perception. Uh, Jonathan, of course, being probably the biggest physical threat, and it's hard to debate that. Um, it's a classic tactic. Uh, this is not super uncommon for someone to make a move around this stage of the game to try to put themselves with other physical threats so they look slightly less threatening and kind of vote out the weaker folks. Um, it's not a great look, though. Uh, Omar and High are not nearly as on board with this. Um, they both give confessionals. High uh, labels it as the misogyny club, uh, kind of making a little bit of a joke, kind of a cheeky joke, but at the same time, uh, definitely calling out that behavior that he views as problematic. Uh, Omar, on the other hand, says, uh, you're being too aggressive. I've never talked game with you until now, and suddenly you come to me with this alliance. Very strange. Uh, he probably could have been a lot subtler with this, maybe go through his allies to pull in their allies, um, a much more conventional and probably smarter tactic Um so ultimately, uh, you know, Rock's social strategy, not not too hot, at least in this episode. He's not very subtle, and he does appear to be playing too hard in this kind of segment that they do. Um, so I, I understand uh, kind of the labeling and the, the issue uh, being brought up. Uh, from a game perspective, it makes sense, but I think that he definitely went about it in a way where him being called out, uh, I can see that that happening for sure. So now we're going to get to the immunity challenge, uh, another seemingly somewhat normal. Um, they bring back the same twist from season 41, where they're going to actually divide into two groups of five, and that's drawn randomly. And they are going to then compete in an immunity challenge. The top finisher, the one who outlasts the others for each group, will get a necklace and be immune. And the top finisher of all overall is going to win for their team, vegetables and beef on kebabs. It's a pretty big reward, especially at this point in the game. They're on day 17, very hungry. Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, so the seas are quite rocky, uh, very similar to the challenge earlier where they fast forwarded. I believe that was episode three. And uh, some people have a lot of trouble getting on the balance. It's the one where they have that like triangle in the ocean and there's the grips on the side and they have to kind of hold on and dig in with their feet. Uh, but some people they're and they can't hold on with their hands. They have to only use their feet. Some people fall within the first like 10 seconds of the challenge, about half of the group goes out and within 30, uh, all but like four are still standing. So high ends up being the last from his group to, to pull it out. Um, so, so the groups, uh, just to break it down, uh, we have a group of five men actually, um, which is which is interesting. And it's many of the men that Rocks Roy wanted to work with in the Alliance. So that's definitely why there was so much focus on that segment on attempting to form that. Um, this including, of course, uh, Omar, uh, Rocks Roy himself, uh, Romeo and High, kind of in the middle of their feud, um, and then Mike as well. Um, so definitely an interesting dynamic in that group. Uh, and the, the winner of that is going to be High. Many of them fell quite quickly, uh, and he's going to win immunity, um, but he does not survive the longest overall, so he cannot win the reward for his team, and they also have to go to tribal first, which actually does end up playing a big part. The other group is the remaining folks, Jonathan, Lindsay and uh, Marianne, of course, from the former Taku, um, as well as we have Dr uh, Drea in there and Tori. 
So two uh, dynamic groups where uh, a lot of different things could feasibly happen at the tribal. Uh, it comes down to Jonathan and Lindsay for this group before Jonathan kind of faces high at the end. Jonathan wins immunity as well as the, uh, the beef and vegetables for his team. So that's, uh, it was over fairly fast. One of the faster kind of, I guess you'd call it endurance, even though it wasn't very long and I don't think it's designed to be very long um, challenges that we've seen. And uh, that's that's the result. We got two people immune. Uh, there's one group going first and one group, the other group, of course, gets the beef and vegetables. So now we're gonna get to the first group, the five men, uh, where they are going first at tribal. And uh, Romeo makes a one joke. He alludes that Mike is like 100 years old, he says, um, which was one of the few bright spots of the episode, in my opinion. Um, Roxroy, of course, because four of the people he was attempting to form an alliance with are kind of with them. Uh, he wants to go after Romeo with High. Um, and High is kind of against Romeo or it's it's up in the air. And so Roxroy thinks he can get the numbers to, to make it happen. Uh, ultimately, what ends up happening is Mike and High are really the deciders here. Um, it's two to one separate from them. Um, and Roxroy would need them to uh, make it three to two in order for him to, to get his plan accomplished and to survive. Hi and Mike have a conversation uh, where they have a back and forth, like, hey, what do you want to do? Uh, High is saying, I know Romeo's not trustworthy, but I think Roxroy is more unpredictable. Uh, and ultimately, they do end up going with um, voting out Roxroy. He gives another confessional uh, that uh, he says, guys are more rigid with making a decision. Uh, and I think that that is his downfall, ultimately, uh, kind of that it's, I don't want to say ironic, but that his gender bias ends up costing him because he probably could have done a little bit more work to try and maneuver and get a boat. Um, instead, he thought, we're done. I talked to everybody. We're all set. And of course, that wasn't the case because people changed their mind. Uh, he really did not have a grip on the social dynamics here. And I don't think of the entire group of 10. Uh, of course, they had to pivot rapidly after the challenge, which was discussed at Tribal. And uh, it ended up being a four to one, pretty easy vote. Uh, and he was the only one to go out. Uh, Romeo uh, also called high a weasel. Um, <laughs> so Romeo, uh, a little bit sassy this episode. Again, one of the few bright spots was those pretty, pretty funny confessionals out of him. Uh, definitely showing, uh, showing that character side. Uh, but yeah, that's a four to one vote. Um, they actually go back to the other group and then go to tribal. And then there's like a commercial in between and then the other group's tribal. So they formatted in a different way than they did for 41. And I think the reason for that was because they wanted to kind of build the tension, but also uh, nearly half hour of the hour long episode was devoted just to the two tribals. Obviously there's more time than usual, but uh, the second tribal in particular was quite long because of the discussion uh, that has been happening more frequently in the last few seasons uh, when there is kind of a, a sparked discussion, uh, whether it be about real world issues issues or about something serious uh, that they often devote a little more time to that tribal uh, just to show what's happening there and tell the whole story. So that's, that's what happens with Roxroy. Um, you know, he played very hard. He was very aggressive in kind of the wrong way. 
I don't think he had a great grasp on the social dynamics of the tribe and wasn't the best strategist. Uh, he came out on the wrong foot of his tribe pretty early, and I was surprised that he lasted as long as he did. He also chose poor allies who weren't loyal to him. He was an interesting character. Obviously, he was the one who broke the hourglass, and he certainly contributed to the season, but he really didn't have a chance at winning and was inevitably, I think, going home in the next few episodes, if not ended up being kind of fifth or fourth. And uh, But either way, this is kind of his fate. And, um, you know, uh, he's now on the jury. All right. So over to the other group. Um, of course, watching the episode for the first time, I thought that this was going to be the more interesting one. There were a lot more options. Uh, the first group was pretty cut and dry. Uh, it was either going to be Romeo or Rox. Um, but this group, you know, Drea has her bag of tricks. Uh, Marianne has an idol. Um, there were kind of multiple advantages floating in the air, multiple things that could happen. Um, and I was excited for it. Of course, uh, it took a turn that was not necessarily the, the most entertaining or quality general of Survivor, um, but, but it kind of is what it is. So their strategizing session on the beach, um, Jonathan, uh, in terms of game moves, uh, really uh, performed poorly here. Uh, this is, again, just from a gameplay perspective. Um, he goes to Drea and Marianne and tells them that he wants to vote the other one out because they have an idol. Um, he knows that both have an idol, and they know that, so going up to someone and saying, I want to vote this person out because they have an idol. Well, that person that you're talking to has an idol is not a good strategy because they're immediately going to think, all right, well, when's he coming after me? And of course, one of them he was lying to. So even worse, um, not, not a smart game move. Jonathan, this was a very rough episode from him, not just for optics, but also just generally his gameplay was, was lackluster. And this was the first real time he took time to strategize fully. Uh, they, of course, had one tribal on Taku earlier, um, but there wasn't a ton from him in terms of strategy and, and social voting. So this is where he kind of comes out here. Uh, he won the necklace, so he's safe and he can be a little more aggressive. And I think he took the big moves thing very seriously. Again, with the um, with the shortened time span, the sloppy gameplay is definitely a factor. Um, he, he doesn't seem to think things through. And I think Lindsay articulates it perfectly in the confessionals where she says, I don't think he's very good at strategy. He's not really thinking through his decisions and he's just kind of doing things for the sake of doing them. And everyone he talks to doesn't feel heard. They feel talked down to. Uh, they all, of course, are women. Um, so that has a different connotation and kind of makes Jonathan look a certain way. Um, and it's not, again, not a great look optically. Um, so my question, of course, was why did he tell Drea it was Marianne? And I think it's because he associated that Tori and Drea were from the same original tribe, so they're probably working together. And when Lindsay tries to tell him that they don't like each other and they're not working together, they've been targeting each other, he uh, seemingly shuts her down. Obviously, this is an edited show, so we don't get the full raw conversation. But from what we saw, it does seem like he's not really listening. She cuts a confessional to attest to the same. When he first presents the plan, she presents a counter scenario and he says, well, let me think about that for a second. And he kind of stares off into the distance as if he hadn't thought about it. Of course, Lindsay also wasn't thinking 
far enough ahead because Drea plays the idol. They're not going to lose Marianne. Marianne will just play her idol knowing that she's the decoy. And that would be uh, a bit scary, but why was Tori not the decoy? Like you don't even have to tell Drea necessarily. You can just kind of split the three of your votes and help one of them votes for the other person. And there's no reason to involve Marianne at all. Of course, Marianne didn't like it and felt uh, like she has for much of the game where she felt kind of that Jonathan was overbearing and talking down to her in a way. And she kind of gives a confessional to explain that as well. Um, in previous episodes, there was definitely um, a lot where Jonathan was a little bit more of the sympathetic side where uh, they, they purposely showed Marianne's kind of behavior that might have been a little bit irritating for him. And he kind of had to, okay, let me just like walk it off and keep my cool. There was still like that little bit of seed where Marianne gave a confessional where she was upset with him. But at the same time, he still looked a lot better earlier on. But now they kind of flip it in the other direction and he looks a lot less uh, less sympathetic here with the way that he's talking to people in general. He doesn't seem very socially adept in this game. Uh, he has very little grasp on the kind of the tribe dynamics in this group of five, and he's very focused on the physical. I know Roxroy had given a confessional that he and Jonathan worked very hard to fish and gather firewood, so maybe he misses out on those conversations in the social game that's so crucial to modern Survivor. Uh, Lindsay really is trying to steer him in the right direction and explain what's going on, and he's just not listening. And she straight up says to him, she says, I know more than you about this, and he just can't really take it. I think he's he has such tunnel vision on making this is his big move his chance to take out someone with all these advantages um, that he has absolutely no bearing on any of his surroundings. Um, I don't know if this is typical behavior from Jonathan, if this is the way that he generally talks to people or if it's the scenario that he's in. Obviously, they are out on an island, um, a lot of stress. It's a game for a million dollars. It's very high stakes. He knows he's a big threat. This He says, this is my chance to make a big move. He's, he's set on it as soon as he has that necklace around his neck. Um, and then someone presents, hey, uh, I don't know. There are a lot of reasons why this might not work. And instead of, you know, adapting or he just kind of shuts down. Um, and that just shows he's not the best game player. Of course, you can comment however you want that maybe he wouldn't treat someone else this way. Maybe it's because he's speaking with women. I think that's what a lot of the, the consensus was online, um, that that was the way that it looked and the way it came off in the episode. Um, if that's the whole picture, I mean, probably not. It's, it is an edited show. But at the same time, I, I t definitely understand where people are coming from that. Um, and like I said, it's so focused on that tunnel vision and his general attitude. Um, he's just missing that social acumen, I feel, um, that uh, unfortunately you really need, not unfortunately, but unfortunately for Jonathan, you really need in this game. Like I said, Tribal takes up so much of this episode. Um, we don't get a ton of strategy or social anything beyond just preparing for tribal directly. And we had, of course, the short challenge, except for, again, that first segment. But uh, for the most part, uh, it was pretty focused on these tribals. Okay. So I'm going to spend most of the rest of the episode discussing the second tribal council. And the formatting for this is slightly different than usual. Uh, instead of progressing chronologically, I'm going to break it down into aspects, make sure that things are compartmentalized and clear. Um, I decided to organize my thoughts in this way because I think there are a lot of things that have to be kind of separated in order to understand the context and then how it all came together and created this tribal. So I'm going to start with game problems. Um, obviously, 
I have had criticism of the show and the way it's been run the last few seasons in terms of advantages, in terms of what I perceive to be unfair advantages and disadvantages at times. And this is no exception. Um, now, I, I understand why Jeff made the decision that he did. I understand. Um, he sort of asked them, he said, should we just forego this voting after the tribe had expressed that it doesn't seem right to go back into game mode after having the conversation that they had. So I understand the reasoning behind it. But at the same time, it does impact the game in a way because they still do have to do the quote, silly game things like play idols, play shot in the dark and actually make the decision. They're just not putting their pens to paper. Uh, and it, it seems like a spur of the moment, last minute thing. And it, it brings into question, like, is this allowed? Is it against the rules? For example, in Ko Rong, it was very clear that the Braun tribe, Scott, Jason, and Sydney, were going to vote Alicia out. She had been the main target for like two tribals, and she had just escaped elimination for different circumstances. Um, and so Jeff offered, Jeff said, if everyone wants, if it's unanimous, we can just have it here. There's no reason to have the formality of tribal. Um, and Alicia said, no, I want to go to tribal. Of course, they did go. It was three to one. She went home. Uh, naturally, uh, you know, that was always going to happen, but she wanted to fight. Um, in Palau, they were out there, of course, for 12 hours, and it was only one person voting, so it, it really wouldn't have affected anything. Jeff said, hey, just Tom, just make the decision. The closest, actually, I think, is the, strangely, the, the Jeff Varner situation from Game Changers, where the tribe just kind of said, yep, we'll, we'll, we're all going to agree to vote this way. There's no reason to put pen to parchment. Uh, it's obvious that he needs to go because of the situation that happened. Um, or even the brand enhance where he, he wasn't technically expelled. The tribe did vote. Um, he, of course, was mentally unstable and the physical risks were very high. Uh, it did seem like a high likelihood he was going to get into a physical fight with at least Philip, if not others on the tribe. Varner, of course, made some wildly inappropriate comments that offended his entire tribe. Um, so for someone to go out in a similar way for this scenario, it doesn't feel super good. Again, I understand the underlying reason that Jeff made the executive decision to cancel the tribal, but it did have game implications. Um, for example, both idols were played. They did say they were going to play them, and I believe that that's the case. But at the same time, Technically, they should have still had the opportunity. There was something similar in HHH where Ben played an idol before the vote to verify it was real. Uh, and I had a problem with that at the time because that's not how idols work. You have to play after the vote because it changes people's vote and it might change the end result. Tori played her shot in the dark. Also, she might not have. She might still have felt at risk, but there's a chance she didn't play it. And if she had been successful, then Lindsay would have gone home. Additionally, the question comes up, why didn't Lindsay have the opportunity to play shot in the dark? Her vote doesn't matter anyway. She knows all three are going to Tory, so there's no chance that she would be outvoted because, again, when the voting is open like this, it changes the entire dynamic, especially with something like shot in the dark in play because now you know, well, I know I'm going home. Instead of it being a risk, it was just a free one in six chance to get out of it because the votes were kind of already cast. 
So that brings into question, and I, again, I understand, I want to emphasize, I understand why Jeff said this, why Jeff suggested it, and the contestants kind of jumped on board, but at the same time, it feels like it's kind of outside the bounds of the game. It just feels backwards. Uh, in my opinion, this is just about the worst that Jeff has gotten so far in the last two seasons. Uh, the fourth wall breaks and narration are one thing, but this really felt like direct production interference on the game. There is, an, again, a good reason behind it. But at the same time, is it for Jeff to decide to break the rules? Like, what is fair and equitable? And when can rules just be broken like this again? Like, what level does the conversation have to get to? in order for this to happen. that That's my big question, at least for the game. Um, so again, understandable under the circumstances, but it does seem to undermine the integrity of the game to have an open vote like that when there are advantages in play that can cancel votes. So now I'd like to talk about the conditions and specifically the survival aspect of the show, which is always there and always present. And sometimes it's more on display than other times. But in this case, it really felt like it was a factor here. Um, even with the first tribal um, high remarks uh, about how cold he was and how miserable it is. Again, this is day 17. And this second group, they did have food, but at the same time, clearly in the middle of a freezing rainstorm. Uh, if you look closely at Drea, her lips actually in the corners are like chalk white. Um, it looks like she is just completely soaked um, and, and just parched. Um, does not look just looks absolutely miserable. She's kind of bundled up in her hoodie. Um, the weather has to be affecting them. Um, it's clearly a cold, cold, rainy night. And she walked in and, of course, sees Roxroy next to Chanel. And naturally, it elicited an emotional response. So I think in combination, uh, it, it exacerbated the situation um, that, that Dre was feeling. They're, in, of course, in a high-pressure social game for a million dollars the cold and the rain, they're hungry, they're tired, they're scared. Um, I don't think it's appropriate, and this is where I'm going to start on the social media, um, I don't want to say crusade, but there, were, there was a lot of vitriol, a lot of bickering, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, um, for the last couple of days since the episode aired have been really rough in, in the survivor world, um, r really rough. Uh, like, it, I, I don't recommend reading it because it's just upsetting. Uh, no matter what your opinion is on the situation, um, it's just, it's not enjoyable to watch human beings treat other human beings, not just the contestants, but other people who are commenting or tweeting as well. Um, very, very unpleasant. So Drea looks, of course, upset about Roxroy while also having a difficult time with the conditions out there and the weather. And I think that absolutely played a part um, in their decision. They all look terrible and, and miserable in that situation. Um, and it, it can't have helped. So now we'll talk about the conversation. Uh, I think that everything that Dre and Marianne said, um, not that it needs to be, but was valid and justified. Um, they talked about their feelings and their experience. So I don't think it's fair to try to undermine that experience unless you've been out there dealing with the same thing. And even former survivors um, who maybe, I don't know, were at a different, different kind of location or the format was different or um, they've just had different life experiences. It's really hard to say, I'm going to undermine their feeling because I don't like what they said. 
if you notice, Drea says a few times, she says, I don't know. She seems to be evasive of Jeff's question because what she's thinking and feeling and she expresses afterward, um, I think Marianne actually kind of breaks the ice there. And then Drea feels a little more comfortable to jump in. She doesn't want to talk about this at Tribal. She knows she's on national television. She understands what the public perception is going to be like. And so she is holding back. Um, I think that her reasoning is because of the scenario where, of course, this is going to come up. People are going to talk about um, the, you know, her playing the quote-unquote race card. So naturally, she is concerned. Of course, there is still the factor of the rain. She's very emotional about Roxroy being voted out and was surprised, of course, because they really thought it was going to be Romeo. Um, and she's, she's evasive. And I, I don't really blame her in this situation. Um, again, whether that's for the game, because oftentimes if you get a little emotional at tribal, sometimes that can expose you um, or it's the public perception either way. Yeah. So after, as the conversation kind of gets rolling and, and Marianne starts bringing up the patterns that we've seen previously, um, I think that Dre is talking mostly about pre-merge boots. Um, I think there have been three or four. I think it's three. There may have been four. I know Millennials Gen X had a string as well of black contestants being voted out back to back to back in the pre-merge. Um, to my knowledge, I personally can't recall a time that happened in the post-merge or just after the merge because it's still less than halfway through if you think about it um, on, a, on a season this large. And she's, she's, of course, concerned over this pattern, which I understand, um, especially she just put Chanel's name on the parchment. And this is what a lot of people were bringing up as well was why is she talking about this when she was the one who actually, she was one of the people, including Roxroy, who voted for Chanel. And I think that that certainly is weighing because this happened only one or two days prior. I can't remember exactly if it was 16 or 15 that they had the tribal where Chanel went home. Um, but that has to be on her mind as well, that Chanel is up there in addition to Roxroy and she helped put at least one of them there. Um, so at this point in the conversation, Drea says, I don't feel safe. I think that they're coming for me. I don't want to see myself as the third person on the jury. And she announces to the tribe that she's going to play her idol regardless. She's not going anywhere. Uh, the conversation, it turns into kind of a live tribal, um, which uh, it looks like the plan might be shifting um, to Tori. Lindsay is telling Tori that, and Jonathan seems, I think is the one that talks to Lindsay, like, hey, like, are we switching to Tori? Uh, she, he asks Drea what she wants to do. Um, and Lindsay tells Tori that, hey, it's still Drea. We're not switching. Um, Marianne says out loud, and she kind of stops for a moment because they are whispering. She stops the live tribal and says, listen, everyone can hear me. I have an idol too. And I'm not voting out Drea. Uh, I'm concerned about this pattern that Drea has identified. She mentions that Survivor brings in the real world, which is true. Definitely people talking about their experience in the real world on Survivor, especially, especially when it comes to serious issues, um, is, is valid. And she also says, I'm going to play my idol. And kind of they explain their reasoning. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment as well. But that's the, the primary kind of part of the conversation. So now I want to talk uh, once again about Jonathan. Um, so at this point, uh, Jonathan jumps in and he says that his feeling is that there's an implication of racism in this scenario. Um, 
Marianne and Drea, of course, immediately jump in and say, we didn't say that, which they did not. Um, and Jonathan, I think, is feeling like this. If you think about the context of when this was filmed, it was mid-2021. Um, during this time, Derek Chauvin's trial had not yet concluded. Uh, George Floyd's death was less than a year prior. Um, these conversations were happening all across the U.S., um, personally, I, I remember a lot of conversations, a lot of buzz on social media. And so before coming out there, this was something that was very much, uh, in the pub public eye. Of course it still is, um, but certainly not that that was probably a little bit past the height of those conversations. Um, so Jonathan, uh, he feels defensive and he's of course worried again, national television about his public perception. Uh, he's very concerned about his image. Uh, of course, he talked about that a few episodes prior that he doesn't want to be the big guy who's overbearing. Uh, he doesn't want that. And the public perception of him is, is concerning and he has his own emotional response and seemingly oversteps and makes himself look worse than it would have if he had just kind of remained silent, maybe listened, responded a little bit and kind of what Lindsay did where she um, she empathizes while also saying, I don't really understand. We've seen this before, of course, when this conversation comes up at Tribal. Um, so the word white, the word white was not used at all in this Tribal Council. Um, neither Drea nor Marianne bring up any implication that white survivor contestants are to blame. Uh, because I guess of the history of this discussion, um, I guess it's kind of entrenched in conversations around this. And again, this is what's happening on social media, but neither of them, uh, at least, at least on the show, use that word in tribal. Um, it's not about like a, a, a black contestant versus any other race or, or all of the other ones. They only talk about their experience and their feelings. And again, who are we to, imply or say that a contestant on a show like this where it is about humanity it is about human experience human social politics cannot share their experience because that's what they do they share their feelings they feel something when they see rocks ray up there they feel something when they know the history they feel something when they get cast and they see the diversity and they feel like they're going to represent that's that's what they're talking about um, Jonathan, most likely because of the history of the surrounding conversation, feels defensive and he finds the need to jump in and defend himself, even though no accusations have actually been brought against him or any other contestant specifically. And I think that, again, this is an emotional response brought on partially by the, the conditions that they're in, inside the game, uh, outside of the game, and he oversteps. Certainly, in, in a way that he probably, if he had stopped and thought about it for a moment, I don't think he would have interjected in a similar way. So, like I mentioned, Dre, of course, voted for Chanel. Roxroy was voted out by four people of color. Um, there was a person of color that was going to go as a result of that tribe. And I think that uh, part of this is the cast is so diverse, so much more diverse than most casts in history, um, except for, you know, 41 and then Cook Islands and Fiji. Um, but other than that, this is far and away one of the most diverse casts we've seen in terms of race, in terms of sexual orientation. Um, and so it, it looks optically 
to someone who maybe is not used to seeing this much diversity, such as Dre or Marianne, that, wow, there's this two people of color on the jury already. This looks like a pattern that I've seen before. So co completely understandable. Um, one of the more contentious moments of this tribal, I think, was Drea says to Jonathan, she remarks that she says, quote, don't make it seem like I'm being aggressive. And Jonathan, without skipping a beat, like she hadn't even finished her last word, says, you are being aggressive. Um, and of course, the history of that, uh, of, you know, that word being used to describe Black women is not a good look for Jonathan. I'm not too sure the extent of Jonathan's awareness of this. It's not very clear. Uh, but ultimately, Jonathan's being his socially unaware self that we saw earlier in the episode. Um, it's possible that he's not nearly as, as educated in these kind of matters as uh, maybe some of the viewers who criticized him are. Um, and he doesn't seem to be familiar with the concept of subconscious bias or unconscious bias at all. Um, and of course, it's not Marianne or Dre's job to explain that to him. Um, and he just seems like he is out of nowhere. And, and he does express that, hey, like, I, I respect you. Um, this got a little out of hand, seemingly. Um, and and he, it's not an apology, but it's definitely an acknowledgement of, okay, yeah, I, I see what happened. And, and I, what I did maybe, um, you know, was was out of the character that I, I'd like to be. And again, they talk about how they feel. Uh, and he does kind of make it about himself. And that's the point that they're making. They're not, again, they're not accusing him of anything. They don't call him anything. Um, all they say is you, you made it about yourself. And this was about our feelings, regardless of what those feelings are. Um, it's, it's not a very socially adept or even friendly. It's downright rude to take someone's feeling regardless of what it is and make it about yourself. Um, and of course, with it being such a sensitive subject, there was a strong emotional reaction, of course. So I'll talk a little bit about the nuance of the situation. I think it's natural for things outside of the game to come into the game. People don't come into Survivor as just players, like chess pieces. Uh, they're people. They have life experience. And this is part of what makes Survivor great, but also part of what limits the game in a way. People lament the... Um, we don't have that Machiavellian godfather type anymore who's just ruthless and cutthroat. And, um, but that was, you know, 2002, 2003, if you think about like Boston Rob and uh, Johnny Fairplay uh, originally. Um, it, the game isn't really like that anymore because society's not really like that anymore. Generations have changed. Younger generations have come into play and the way that they treat each other is just a little bit different, even within a game of Survivor. Um, it is a game and people have different burdens that they bring in based on representation or perceived perception. And yes, it can stifle gameplay and it can be less entertaining, but it's not the contestants fault. It's not. And anyone blaming the contestants for their experience, talking about their experience, um, they're just wrong. Um, it's not the way that the public works. It's not the way society works. Um, it's really hard to label someone someone's behavior and say, you don't have that experience. You're, that's not right. Or you're using it in a way that's not appropriate. Um, and I did see a lot of it. It was, it was pretty ugly on social media. Um, yeah, it was, it was rough to read at times. So 
I've mentioned public perception before, but I think that it's, it's worth addressing that in this social media era where everything, everything is online, and especially when you're on a national television show with some pretty serious fans, as well as some casual fans that have there's a social media following, there's a whole community. Um, it's really hard to avoid that when you're out there on the islands. And I think that they're pressured to play their idols. I think Drea was probably going to play it anyway, but Marianne was not really going home. I think she was pressured to play it. And they state this, they say, if, if I don't, Marianne says, if I don't play this, there's going to be someone out there. And again, this is public perception who says she only survived the tribal because she used race as a strategy. And of course there were people that said that even though she played the idol, um, so she had to play that, or she felt that she had to play it to avoid that. So she actually gives herself a disadvantage in the game because of public perception. So her, uh, people say she used race as a strategy, but it was against her strategic best interest to lose an advantage in this way um, is obviously not good to have an idol essentially that she played and did not need to survive the tribal. They're so worried that fans will say they use the race card to survive. And that's a huge burden that other players who are not black, who are not of color, don't have the same burden. There's no, and this is hearkening all the way back to Marquesas where Sean Rector and Sepia Towery had a, a very famous conversation about representation and what it means to be on TV and people watching and feeling like you have to be the representative of a whole group of people that not all contestants have that burden. Um, I talked about it already, but I think Lindsay's response saying she respected them and empathizes. It's really how it should go with anyone who's not in that scenario and, and has in the past. We, we had some responses on 41 to a similar kind of tribal, um, I, I believe from Xander, who uh, was, was doing something similar where he was empathizing without. Um, but this was just, it felt a lot uglier than, than that one. Uh, that one, of course, it did take up a lot of time, but again, it felt like it was an important conversation, but, it, but in this case, uh, it, it just, it just wasn't good TV. It wasn't good survivor. And I don't feel as if anything new was brought to light in terms of, uh, educating anyone or a conversation that needed to be had. A lot of this had been said before, even on this show. Um, while I'm not kind of trying to take away from Dre or Marianne's experience. But in terms of the, the show, um, it was not, I did not enjoy watching this episode. And I watched this tribal several times to prepare because of course I wanted to do my due diligence and make sure that I did this the right way. Um, but at the same time, um, not, not, an, not a good or entertaining episode of Survivor. That doesn't mean it's not valuable in some way. But at the same time, for, for the show, um, it was a little rough. So now I've alluded to it, but uh, I'd like to talk about the social media response, which I think was probably the worst part, 
not the episode itself, but the actual response. And, and the Survivor fan base is really at a point where not only is it very polarized on the recent, uh, and of course, some people refer to it as wokeness, but uh, I mean, this has been in the game since season one, season four, like I mentioned, it's always been a part of the show. Um, and, and of course, the political climate lends itself to to polarization, even among fans of the TV show. But the rabid nature of the fan base, is, it's just ugly. It's unpleasant. It doesn't give the show a good look. It doesn't give the fans a good look. And I think that these fans really need to stop projecting their problems onto contestants on a TV show that, yes, are real people. I can't imagine being any of these contestants right now. People are lambasting Jonathan. They're lambasting Drea. They're lambasting Marianne. And, and they're all wrong. They're people. Contestants are allowed to talk about their life experiences on the show. They are. Some of the greatest moments in the show have involved this. People who are having uh, emotional, maybe trouble away. Think of Jeremy, who... His wife is pregnant. He hasn't seen her. He's missing his family. He has to keep it from all these people for 39 days. Think of Adam, whose mom is struggling. Think of Jenna Maraska, whose mom is struggling. Think about Sabrina in One World on the last day when she wakes up and has this emotional response. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen on this show. Some of the greatest moments in the show involved real world, real life things. But for some viewers, unfortunately, it feels like they don't like to hear about this kind of experience. So they scream and they cry and they throw a tantrum and they project it onto the show. They fill up comment sections on the official Survivor Facebook. They tweet at contestants constantly. They send Instagram messages. They post on Reddit threads that they don't like to hear about different kinds of experiences. This also goes, I think, for the people who are upset with Jonathan and the people who are calling him an awful person. And I understand that um, some things have come to light about Jonathan's past employment, which I haven't done enough research into to fully understand. So I don't want to comment on, on his life outside of this. I know there were some things about Tori as well. But, but in terms of the scenario in the game, what we were shown on TV, I think that uh, the amount of hate that he has gotten is also unwarranted. Be critical of the behavior, be critical of his reaction, be critical of his words, but to, you know, call him some of the names that I've seen, um, it seems excessive and it's also vitriolic. And even if, um, you know, those who are signaling those virtues feel like they are in the right and, and oftentimes maybe they are, they have the right idea, but the way that it's expressed, I think is, is, is a problem. Um, I, this is why I felt the need to provide more context on this situation beyond just they said this and it's isolated and this makes them a bad person or this makes them a good person. It, it's, it's really this whole thing was a series of emotional responses, many of which were justified and some of which I would consider brave. And it's brave to talk about these things on national television, some of which were uh, some biases coming to light that maybe someone was not aware of, maybe someone, you know, watching this, and, and by someone I mean Jonathan, or perhaps Roxroy, watching this episode back, hopefully it is an opportunity maybe to learn a little bit. Like, I could have done this, this better or this differently. 
But I think by far the ugliest things I saw were what was aimed at Marianne Drea. Um, a lot of it was just aimed at production, how they edited and their, the show is too woke. The show's too political. It's been political from the beginning. It's a show about people. It's always going to be political. It's about social politics, for God's sake. There were some really ugly things, um, which I just think is really inappropriate. They talked about their feelings. They never called anyone out. They never blamed anyone. They never used the word white. They never use it in a strategic way. And again, they did the opposite. They went against their best strategic and interests and use their idols in a way that they didn't need to, especially Mary Andrea may have gone home. But I think that all Survivor fans really need to take a step back and recognize that these are real people. They have feelings, they have families, they have experiences. They're not sitcom or movie characters. This isn't an episode of The Office where you can say how much you hate this character or that character, or you like this character or that character. These are real people and they can absolutely read what you're putting out on the internet. I'm just, I'm asking if anyone is listening to this that finds the need to post these kinds of comments or tweets, please just have some empathy before you hit tweet, before you hit enter on that comment. Even if you don't understand, just have, try to have a little bit of empathy. Just take a deep breath before, like, if I were this person, would I really want to read this? Do I need to read this? Is this going to help me at all? I know that social media in general can be polarizing and not everyone is going to like everyone or get along. But at the same time, just the hyperbolic and polarizing discourse that's been present for the last couple of days, uh, I don't think it adds value to the show or to social media as a whole. And I really hope that we can move past this because I think it's really damaging to the actual way the show is done because people who are going to, the future contestants are reading this and they're going to be afraid and they're going to have to perhaps burn advantages or perhaps not want to even go on the show. And I think that that might be what kills our favorite show after 22 years and 42 seasons. Can the fan base recover or could this really end the show itself? So just to wrap up here, um, Tori is, of course, going to go home or shot in the dark doesn't work. I thought she was an, an intelligent and astute social player. She was always at the bottom of the numbers, and she never quite got into the right rhythm or with the right allies. I thought she was a great villainess, and I'll miss watching her. Um, I guess that's it. Um, I know this was a lot. I, I really appreciate you sticking it out with me. And please remember, this is just a show. There are real people on it, but it's a television show. If you don't like what I said, that's okay. I did my best to give a different perspective while trying to respect everyone. I love this show. Of course, I started this podcast to talk about how much I love this show. And I really hope that the rabid fandom, the increased production interference, and the worries by players through no fault of their own about public perception in this age of social media. I really hope it doesn't hurt or kill the show for good. Thanks for listening.